What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Progress Not Perfection. This week, I've got a very, very, very special, amazing, incredible guest. This woman has helped me incredibly with my business, my mindset, and really just taught me a lot about how to be a better coach. She is a mentor, inspiration, she is a spirit animal, whatever whatever you want to say. Uh, she's a big, big influence on me. So I know if you guys enjoy my content, you're really, really going to enjoy the conversation that me and her have together. Her name is Kim Schlag. You guys can go give her a follow at Kim Schlag Fitness. Last name is spelled S-C-H-L-A-G. And she's an incredible teacher, incredible mentor, and incredible coach. So definitely go follow her. If you guys are interested in picking up some protein powder and you've been wondering where the hell I get my protein powder, because I've been showing you guys a lot of my stories, I have partnered with Legion Athletics. They are one of my favorite supplement companies. I actually have been taking their pre-workout for several years. And the reason I love them so much is because all of their ingredients are backed by evidence. They're backed by research. They are very, very upfront with why they use certain ingredients and the amounts that they use. Everything is clinically dosed. Everything is, there's no artificial sugars, there's no artificial sweeteners. Uh, All of the whey protein is grass-fed. The plant protein comes from organic whole food sources. I know you guys are gonna love their sleep supplement. I absolutely love their pre-workout. And my favorite protein powder is their cinnamon cereal whey. I definitely, definitely think that if you guys are going to grab some supplements, Legion is the way to go. Go ahead and use my code Jeff, J-E-F-F, for 20% off your first entire order. So if you place an order for $20, you get 20% off. If you place an order for $300, you get 20% off. If you place an order for $3,000, you get 20% off. And every single time that you put in my code, you support the channel, you support the podcast, and you support me. All right, that's enough uh, blabbering on. Let's get into today's episode with Kim Schlag. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Progress Not Perfection. Today, I have a very special guest, someone who has helped me out quite a bit when I first started coaching and continues to kind of just be a source of inspiration and knowledge to me, my friend Kim Schlag from Kim Schlag Fitness. Kim, how are you? Hi there. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. I really, uh, it's an honor to be here with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you know, the podcast and it's 50 to 100 listeners are going to benefit greatly from this. So I appreciate you for coming on. And uh, today, I just kind of wanted to start with talking about, you know, how you got into fitness. I know you have quite the story and kind of like got into fitness a little bit later in life. So I think a lot of people would benefit from hearing your story and how you got into it. Yeah. So, um, earlier in life. So I'm 52. I, uh, no one would have confused me with an athlete at any point in my life, uh, in my teens and my twenties and my thirties, uh, never would they have confused me for an athlete. I did not enjoy working out. I did have one experience when I was a teenager of watching a girl I knew like bench press some pretty serious weight and thinking like, I had this moment of like, I want to do that, but I had no access to that equipment. And so it just kind of like came and left. Um, typical teenager in the eighties. I watched a lot of fashion magazines and saw all the things. And I always wanted to lose five pounds. I was not overweight, but I had in my mind, this picture of like the eighties model. And I was like, why do I want to look like that? And, you know, I did all the dumb diets in my twenties, trying to lose five pounds, never really got to look like I wanted to, which I didn't realize till decades later, the, what the missing piece was in my thirties. I actually began to with obesity because I had children. And with every one of my children, I followed that ridiculous advice that you're eating for two. I took that so seriously. (laughs) I I ate for way more than two and never successfully really lost the weight with each of my children. I had three children, gained 50 pounds with every pregnancy, never fully lost it before getting pregnant with the next one. So by the time I was 38, I was severely overweight and very discouraged about what to do about it because everything I tried 
either I couldn't stick with it or it would work for a while. And then I gained all the weight back and I was just losing and gaining the same weight um, and getting bigger and more and more frustrated. And it wasn't until I was in my early forties um, that I got my act together. I finally learned about, and it's funny, I say learned about, but I'd been hearing about it for years. I finally let it sink into my mind what calories were and how to manage them. I it couldn't believe that it really did come down to energy balance because I was convinced that it was going to be like <laughs> Dr. Oz was going to give me something that came from the rainforest. That's what I was missing, right? Like I just <laughs> thought that there was something missing I hadn't read about yet. I didn't really think it was like, wow, like you're eating too many calories, Kim. I didn't think that it was that, but Hey, guess what? That was it. And then the other thing that had been missing my entire life, and this goes back way back to my twenties, when I was like, even when I lose weight, I don't look like I think I'm going to the missing piece was strength training. I had never mm. lifted weights before. I'd done a little bit in some kind of cardio type weight-based classes, like where I held weights, but it wasn't really strength training. And when I did that in my early forties, I was 43. When I started lifting, my entire, the entire shape of my body changed. Finally, like I lose, you know, I lose significant weight and I actually look like what I think I'm supposed to look like. Well, when I say supposed to, what I imagined I'd look like when I had lost 30 or 40 pounds before. And I would look in the mirror and be like, why am I not seeing any muscle definition? Well, it's because right. I didn't have any muscle. I didn't have it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, it's funny because um, a lot of women just want to get smaller and smaller and they want to get skinny, but really what they want, they want weight loss is what they say, but really what they want is fat loss. And in order for you to get that toned lean look, right, it, there has to be some, some muscle there. So I yeah, think, and we think yeah. it's just under there. We don't understand like, and look, everybody has muscle, but if you want to actually have like arms that have shape, like, you know, you look in magazines, you're like, oh, Michelle Obama's arms. Like, how do my arms look like that? <laughs> well, you've got to lift some weights. And I just didn't realize that in my twenties and in my thirties, I just thought if I lost enough weight, that is what my arms would look like. And that is what my legs would look like. And it did not occur to me that there was more to it than that. And gosh, I fell in love with strength training and it really did change the shape of my body, but also really, um, it really helped me to see what I could achieve, like that I was strong inside. I never thought of myself as a strong person, literally ever. I always felt like kind of a pushover. I don't know why I just said kind of, I was a pushover <laughs> and seeing myself get strong in the gym and like every week being able to go in and be like, I can actually lift up a heavier weight. And it's still like another week, I'm still lifting up a heavier weight. It really began to change how I saw myself and I think that that mental transformation was even bigger than my physical transformation, which was quite dramatic. Whoa, mic drop. That's that. Hey, that's amazing. Cause a lot of people don't really think about that when they get into weightlifting, they're like, well, how many calories am I going to burn? And you know, if I'm getting a good sweat is like, you know, is that mean I got a good workout? Like I have a client right now who just started with me and she, she does the beach body like hit workouts and she loves them and then she got a strength training workout for me and she's like and i saw in her workouts that she was using less weight like each set as she was going down she was going she was using less weight and less weight and less weight for the same exercise and i was like hey you need to rest in between your sets and she was like why like why I've never rested in, and I was like, that's how you build muscle. That's how you build muscle. That's that it way. It doesn't you can come intuitively to a lot of women because we've done those like videos and the classes where the whole point, like that the instructor is trying to get us to do is keep your heart rate up. You got to keep your heart rate up. You got you're constantly moving because the whole point is to burn calories. And that's where we shoot ourselves in the foot. When we're trying to use our strength training sessions to burn calories, we don't realize that that's actually not getting us the result we want, which is that toned look. It's not getting it for us. We need that rest. And it's, it's a big switch in a woman's mind when she can make that like, wow, things start to change in her body. Yeah. And internally getting stronger, building more confidence and learning that your body is fucking capable of amazing shit. And like progressively over time, like pretty soon you're going to be lifting up a Ryan, like deadlifting, like a hippo, you know, it's <laughs> like, it's insane. Like I, you know, I've, I've had the pleasure of like in person coaching um, some really, really strong badass women. And, uh, and I fucking love it. I love watching the look on their face when they leg press like 500 pounds. And they're like, yeah, 
what? I just did that? I'm like, yes, you did it. And you didn't even break a sweat. Like it literally, you could probably put on another two plates. And it was like, they, you know, they're leg pressing just as much as the dudes. And it's like, it's like, yo, like, this is, this is so good for your self-esteem, your self-confidence. If you can do this inside the gym, then what happens when you're, you're up for that promotion at work and like, you don't know if you're worth it or not, or like, blah, blah. It's like, fuck yeah, I'm worth it. Like, look at how strong and badass I am. Like, I'm going for it. It's totally true. Um, I, when I started lifting, I'd been taking singing lessons. I really like to sing, but I don't have a great voice, but I'd taken, been taking voice lessons for well over a year. And my voice instructor kept being after me to sing in public. And I was just like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And after I started lifting and I building more confidence in the gym, and I didn't connect. I did not connect these at the time. It wasn't until years later I connected it. I agreed. And I started singing in public. Like I sang at a recital, which was really like 30 people. And then she convinced me to like sing in church in front of like several hundred people. And it was not until years later, I was like, that's what gave me the confidence to do that. I'd been telling her no for over a year. No, I won't do it. Um, that's what gave me the confidence to start my own business. Like I, I still struggle with tech, but after I got to the point where I was like, I am a person who does hard stuff. I see myself like tackling obstacles. I built my own website. I'm thinking like, mm. oh, where was that? Who was that person? Cause that was not me at no point in my life earlier. Would I have had the confidence to be like, I'm sure I can figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. And building a website is one of like coming from somebody who grew up with tech, building a website is the most fucking frustrating thing in the world. So yeah, and I, and I use Weebly, so it's easier, but still that was not, that was not, that was like yeah. day after day, hour after hour. It was terribly, uh, it was, it was not easy for me. Um, and I just would not have tackled it. I just know I wouldn't have in the world previous to me realizing the inner strength that I had, which I gained in the gym. Yeah. And it's an intrinsic motivation. You know, if, the, if like the, like an intrinsic motivation is to build self-confidence, to come into your own, like to find your purpose, like an extrinsic motivation is like, I want to lose this weight so that like people look at me at the beach and they're like, wow, you look so great. It's like, that's, there's nothing wrong with extrinsic motivation, but it's not as powerful in my opinion. And, and from what I've seen, it doesn't create that lasting motivation and impact that an intrinsic yeah. does. I totally agree with you. And to be honest, quite frankly, when I started lifting, I was not like, I'm going to lift weights to see how, um, like internally strong I can get. Or yeah. like, I wasn't even thinking about like physically strong. Like, I just wanted to look good. That's literally, I wanted to stop. I wanted to stop feeling bad about how I looked. I wanted to fit in clothes again. I wanted to feel confident. That's what I wanted. And, you know, people listening, like ladies, if you're listening right now, I'm going to promise you for whatever reason you start lifting weights, it's going to change you. And you don't have to want that right now. I have to, I have not worked with a single woman who has come to me and at some point not learned to like feel really amazing in the gym. Even the women who've come to me and they're like, I don't like to work out. I'm like, I get it. I didn't like to work out either. You don't have to like to work out just like you don't have to like get jazzed about like brushing your teeth. You don't have to like it. You just do it because you know, you want the results of it. And so many women have come to me and they're like, fine, like I'll do it. And every single one of them months, I'm not even talking like years into it, but like months into it, they find some measure of satisfaction. In it. Some of them like actually learn to love lifting and they're like, I want to be a power lifter. Like I, I'm yeah. a power lifter. And they're like, I want to do what you do. I want to lift really heavy weights and compete. Many of them do not. Many of them are just like, I can't believe I can do a pushup. Like I remember gym class and like, I would always be so embarrassed and like trying to do that stupid presidential fitness test. Like now I'm 47 and I can do pushups and they had a great deal of satisfaction in that. So if you're listening and you're like, I don't like to work out and I don't feel motivated by that. It's fine. You can be motivated by like how you want to look, just know, like you've got great stuff coming your way. And there's going to be a moment that you're like, whether you love lifting or hate it, there's going to find some satisfaction that you're going to be really proud of what you can do. And it's super cool. I love it. And what, what gets you in the door is not always what is going to keep you in the room, right? So like what yes. the initial motivator might be like, I want to lose 50 pounds for my wedding or something. And then you find out, oh, I fucking love like lifting. I love deadlifting and like, I want to deadlift two times my body weight or something. And so you set this really cool performance goal instead of a weight loss goal after you achieve your weight loss or whatever. And then boom, you're still training and your body's still changing. And now like 
you can even go into a maintenance or surplus phase and like play around with actually intentionally eating more food and building muscle because you're trying to get stronger. So it's like, it's pretty cool once you get out of like this dieting mindset of all the time, like it doesn't need to be about dieting all the time. So yeah, I, I love that. I yeah, totally agree. Yeah. So, okay. So I, I mostly work with women who are over 40. Um, and, and I don't know why they love me. They just love me, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, a lot of them are either in menopause, going through menopause or have gone through menopause. So I, me being a dumb man who doesn't know much about this stuff, um, can you explain to me and the, and maybe the people who are going through this or don't know, or maybe will be going through this, what is menopause and, and how does it affect someone who's trying to lose weight? I love that you want to know for you personally, so you can help uh, the women you're working with. It's conversation that in the past, gosh, since, so I'm in perimenopause. Uh, I have recognized that I've been perimenopause probably the last five years, but I've been in perimenopause for like the last nine years. And I didn't even know for many years leading up to it. And I can tell you about that in a minute. Um, and in that time period, the conversation has gotten so much louder. Like so many people are talking about it now. Whereas I had never heard, I'd never even heard the word perimenopause when I was in my early forties, never even heard it. And I certainly would have not talked to my friends about it. It just never occurred to me. And those conversations are happening more and more these days. And I'm happy to be a part of that. I talk about it all the time um, in my content. Uh, so menopause is the time period once you have been without your menstrual cycle for an entire year, one whole year without it, then you're considered menopausal. Okay. All the years leading up to that is perimenopause. Peri literally, it translates to um, around. I think it's Latin, yeah. Very in Latin, it means around. So around menopause, that's the time leading up to it. Perimenopause, so menopause, the average age of menopause is 51. Perimenopause can start up to a decade before. So that can put women at 41 in perimenopause. I'm sure right now there are people's minds going like, wait, what? <laughs> like, what? Because I didn't know that. Um, and in fact, I had my first symptoms looking back in hindsight when I was in my early forties, my first symptom was vertigo. And I actually ended up in the emergency room because I was, um, I had gone to the gym to walk on the treadmill and the whole world started spinning. And I was just like, what's wrong. Um, ended up in the emergency room. They're like, Oh, it's vertigo. We couldn't pin that point. There's lots of reasons you can have vertigo. Nobody could pinpoint why. And it has come back. It's something I struggle with perpetually. It's a symptom of perimenopause. I went through a lot of symptoms in my forties. I was convinced that I was just around the corner from getting diagnosed with something terrible, like MS or something, because I had so many strange symptoms. And it wasn't until somebody said to me like, hey, could you be in menopause? And I was like, wait, what? And I started investigating and I'm like, all of these symptoms, this is making sense to me. And so I really like to have women know ahead of time, like things like um, vasomotor symptoms where you're getting hot and cold is the typical one, hot flashes. That's kind of like classic, people recognize that but it can be all kinds of other things. So seasonal allergies suddenly appearing. If you've never had seasonal allergies and all of a sudden you have allergies, that's been a big struggle for me. Being really tired, obviously things changes in your cycle is another big sign. Like if all of a sudden you're not having your cycle and then when you are having it, it's, um, it's you know very um, dramatic. It's not just your regular cycle. One of the symptoms I had that's two symptoms I had that are definitely out there, but they're a little bit stranger. I had these electric zapping sensations in my head. Like it all of a sudden felt like somebody had just like, I was like, what is that? I was like, is this, is this what a stroke feels like? It was <laughs> terrifying. And that's sure. one of the reasons I really like to talk about this because there's no reason for us, if we know what to expect and what the possibilities are, it's far less scary when you start experiencing these things. Um, you know, I was sitting at a restaurant and started having zapping in my head and I'm like, what is that? Uh, it was scary. I started having ice cold hands, like literally so cold that I was wearing gloves trying to type. And like, I couldn't move my hands because they were so cold all. And that's part of the vasomotor symptoms. So there's just so many things. You can be really tired. You can have insomnia. Um, it sounds lovely. Doesn't it, Jeff? Aren't yeah, you yeah. Like, wow. yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm like thinking about all of this and I'm like, ah, just another reason why being a man is a lot easier <laughs> sometimes, but you know, it's, it. So, so if somebody's having all of these symptoms, 
they can last for up to 10 years before they actually yeah. go into menopause. Yeah. And I will say I've never had all of these symptoms at once. They would kind of come and go. So like I have not had vertigo every day since I was 43, but it happens to me a couple of times a year. I'll have a really bad spell of vertigo. Um, it kind of comes and goes. Um, the hand thing with the ice cold hands that lasted solid for several months. And then it occasionally will come and go. Seasonal allergies came about five years ago and just has never left, which was just so weird to me that I never struggled with seasonal allergies my entire life. And now I do. Um, so things come and go. It's not like they stay. And then of course there are ways to treat these things. Um, you know, hormone, uh, menopause hormone therapy is a really amazing thing that a lot of women use. I use it. And that really helps with the hot flashes and night sweats. Um, I sought treatment for that because, uh, it's been about three years ago. Now I started getting night sweats, um, and they would come dozens a night. And if you can imagine what it's like to wake up dozens of time in a night. Mm. And when I would wake up, I would be soaking wet. And so I'd have to change my clothes, like literally dripping wet. And so after a while, like I, I didn't sleep for three months because ever, I started dreading going to bed. Cause I'm like, here it comes like right. another terrible night. It was three months of that. So that's gone for me now because Oof. I'm on menopause hormone therapy. Um, but some of the symptoms come and go. Some of them are treated with, with medication. Um, it's not an easy time. I will tell you that it's not an easy time, but the good news from what I hear, I'm not there yet. I'm not in menopause yet. It's still, I'm not still at a year, year past, um, fully being without a cycle. But from what I hear, once you actually make the transition, a lot of these symptoms tend to get better. And that's something to look forward to. So perimenopause, there's like more symptoms and more like weird things that happen to you for a lot than, of women than when you actually go into menopause. It can vary. It's the same things are so different, but for a lot of women, what I hear, what I read, what I've been told, what ex other people I know who are ahead of me have experienced is yes. On the other side of menopause, a lot of this clears up for some women. That's not the case. Um, I, I work with clients. I only work with women who are in their forties and up, and I work with a lot of people struggling with perimenopause and menopause. And I do have clients who are fully menopausal, still struggling with insomnia. Like it's just they haven't been able to, to beat it yet. Um, but a lot of this stuff from what I hear does clear up and I'm sure I'm knocking on some wood here. Cause I'm sure hoping it does because <laughs> it's yeah. a mess. Yeah, I'm yeah. ready for it to be in my past. <laughs> yeah. Sounds crazy. Um, so, and it's funny how like uneducated I am on this and, you know, I've been coaching women for, you know, several years and how un uneducated I am on this. And it sounds like the general public and maybe even women who are perimenopausal have no idea. And they're just like, I'm just having these weird symptoms. Like I don't want to go to the doctor because I'm scared. I don't want them to tell me I have MS or something else. So it's like, um, maybe this is kind of a relief for some people that, that they understand that there is like, Hey, you can go on, on these, you know, hormone um, therapies and, you know, it might help. Yeah. And it's not the answer for every single woman to go on therapies, but I will tell you, even if they don't, it's just a relief to know what's going on with your body, right? Because there's all kinds of weird stuff happening. So just to get the confirmation of like, ah, this is, this is something with a name, like it's perimenopause, like this whole weird cluster of symptoms. I get it. Like, I'm not crazy. I don't have 12 different diseases. I'm going through, even though it's a natural life phase. Wow. It, it's really challenging. And to be able to put a name to it, it really helps. Um, yeah. And to then, then to, um, you know, find yourself in community with other women struggling with the same thing. You know, I seek that out online. Like I, I join various communities and I read certain, um, uh, Instagram feeds that are filled with women in perimenopause. Cause I want to like be able to commiserate with other people and see like, how are they managing this? It's really useful to yeah. um, have that information. Yeah. Having that community is amazing. Like I know I have a friend who, um, he, I know, I know it's like not a, technically like a disorder or something <laughs> like everyone's going to go through it. But I have a friend who has epilepsy and, mm -hmm. uh, and he, he goes on forums now. And so he finds, cause there's no one like around here where, where he lives that has epilepsy. So he had a hard time finding that community of people. And then he, you know, he went on Facebook and he found a community and he actually like, he's been in that community, like helping and being of service and like, finding a way to help other people who maybe are just learning about it or just getting diagnosed. So it's, it, it takes you out of the, like, I'm the victim stance into like, how can I use what I'm going through to help others? And I think that's what you're doing. And I love that. So thank you for doing that. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. 
I didn't start doing it on purpose. It literally just fell into my lap. <laughs> the more I would talk about my own struggles with perimenopause, the more women would reach out to me to talk about it and to get help with what I do, which is, you know, exercise and fitness and weight loss. And so I'm just like, you know, we're, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to focus on helping these women. And um, it's just been a really natural fit. Yeah. Well, that's, that's amazing. Cause you know, you can always turn your struggles into some sort of uh, helping others and, and, you know, it's good. I, I love it. So when it comes to weight loss and menopause or perimenopause, obviously you talked about sleep being affected. That's going to affect weight loss in a major way. Um, mm -hmm. Just going through all these crazy symptoms and stuff, I'm sure that affects someone who is going also trying to lose weight or also struggling to lose weight. So, you know, what are some tips that you have in that department? I like that you phrased it that way, Jeff, because so many women hear or are convinced, like, I can't lose weight in my forties. Like my body has changed. Like I can't do this now. I'm like, they really build it up in their mind that there's something physically wrong with them. And there's a lot of people out there trying to take your money, telling them like, you know, like, oh, like I'm a hormone coach, right? And like, <laughs> make, this, make us feel like we're broken and they can somehow fix it. And really there's nothing like that. There's nothing that happens when we start losing estrogen that flips some kind of switch that's like, you can't lose weight or that flips a switch and it's like, you will now put pounds on. What really happens, two things that happen. The first is what you were hitting on there, which is we have this crazy cluster of symptoms that we're now trying to manage on top of the fact that we're trying to lose weight. Like we're not sleeping and we're low on energy and we're generally not feeling well. Like how does that all fit into like, I wanna eat well and exercise. So managing those symptoms and I can talk about some ideas to how to help you do that. That's really the key is like figuring out how do I manage what's going on so that I can still eat in a calorie deficit, hit the gym, move my body. That's the key. And then the other switch that happens, and it's a real thing. And I'm sure some people listening are gonna be like, oh, I see that happening is what does happen is though, even though it's not like some switches flipped and we start gaining fat or not being able to lose fat, where we tend to store fat can shift and it can shift uh, to our bellies. And so that menopause belly menopause that you like look belly. down and all of a sudden yeah. you're like, where did this come from? It's not that all of a sudden like you get necessarily gain fat. It's just where we tend to store excess fat has shifted to our, our abdomen region. Um, you will lose that fat literally in the same way you lose fat anywhere else. So there's no special like menopause belly fat protocol. Um, okay. It's calorie deficit. It's, you know, patience with it. It's moving your body. It's strength training, all those things, eating enough protein. Um, but it's good to know that that is a piece of the puzzle of what's going on. Yeah, that's, I love that you, mention that because I feel like a lot of people will try to sell you protocols or claim that they're a specialist in this and that. And it's like, you can't really fluff this thing up like more. It's, it's literally just the same principles that we've been talking about on this podcast and other great coaches have been mentioning, which is the, the base, the basics for fat loss, right? There's no like amount of crunches or sit-ups or whatever you can do to spot reduce belly fat. It's, it literally comes down to being in a calorie deficit and finding ways to create that calorie deficit sustainably because much like genetics, like I have myself personally, I lose fat first in my legs, which sucks because I don't really show off my legs a lot, right? And it's like <laughs> I have to walk around with these skinny chicken legs and, and I lose fat in my back. And one of the last places I lose fat is from my belly. And so I just need to keep going in a calorie deficit in order to lose that belly fat. So what you're saying is menopause belly, very similar to where we store body fat genetically. It's just mm -hmm. kind of comes down to, hey, just keep going. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Keep going and learn to manage the symptoms that you're having that are getting in the way of you being able to maintain consistency with your deficit and move. Um, you know, we really can downregulate how much we're moving without even realizing it. Mm. And we're having all these symptoms. We just tend to like lay around more. And so for the clients I work with, one of the, the first things I do is have them get a step tracker. It does not have to be an expensive, you don't have to go buy a Fitbit or an Apple watch. It could literally be like a 10 or $12 one from Amazon and just start tracking your movement and see how much do you move generally. Um, and you'll notice like on times you're not feeling as well, you're not moving as much, right? That makes sense. And then really work on upping that number of steps. Minimum, I like to see people getting 7,500 steps a day. Um, that's where we see the health benefits. You can keep accruing health benefits as in like you'll have less chance of dying from all kinds of diseases, 
right up to 7,500. So that's the minimum I like people to get to. And then, you know, you can keep going up with that to 10 to 12,000 um, to help with fat loss. You don't have to get up that much, but I feel like those are reasonable numbers to shoot for over time. Um, but look, if you're right now, you're clocking in and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm at 2,000 a day. That's fine. Start adding in an extra 500 to 1,000 every day for a week. Keep doing that till it feels really natural to get, you know, now you're at 3,000. Okay. And then up it again until you're at 3,500, until you're at 4,000. And then over time, you're going to find strategies to get extra steps in so that you can get up to 7,500 or 10K. Um, and really that can help so much with both weight loss and just generally improving how you how you feel about yourself and your mood. Yeah. And more research is coming out as well to show that actually walking can improve your blood sugar like after a meal so oh interesting if, yeah so if you have a meal and then you go for like a short 10 15 minute walk after a meal it can actually improve your blood sugar response to that meal so you know there's other benefits too like digestion actually helps with digestion and you know getting sun exposure if you're in a place where you know you have sun um getting that sun exposure also helps with your circadian rhythm for sleep so that may help with, yes. with your sleep if you're struggling with sleep so Walking has so many benefits and I feel like it's just like good for your mental health just to get the body moving, especially if you work from home or at a desk all day. It's just like yeah. getting up and like you'll have less aches and pains. I've noticed for sure. And some of my clients have noticed once they got their steps up that mm -hmm. their mental health improves, less aches and pains and just like better overall, like just mood in general. So yeah, I love that. Totally agree. And yeah, especially if you're a person who works at a desk, I notice it can help a lot if you break the, the steps up throughout the day. So if you're making sure you get up every hour to walk, even if it's just inside your office or your house, can really help so you're not having as much like back pain, shoulder pain, neck pain to just adjust your positioning. So that's like a whole nother reason to be doing it. And then it's really going to help with that um, that calories out portion anyway, um, you know, upping your steps throughout the day. So there's so many good reasons yeah. to start moving more. Yeah. And I actually just started implementing this because I was like, I was taking a lot of phone calls lately. And I was like, man, I'm on the phone so much. And I found myself just sitting down on my couch or at the chair at my desk. And I was like, why don't I put my headphones in and literally just walk around my living room and get steps in? I want to see, I want to do an experiment and see how many steps I can get on like a 20 minute phone call. So I did that and I was like, oh, I got a couple thousand steps like well, in my living room. Like, yeah, I look like a crazy person, but like, <laughs> who cares? It's my house. You know what I mean? It's, so I just yeah. started doing that. And um, some days, honestly, some days in my living room, I will get four or 5,000 steps just like pacing around. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever yeah. I'm on a call, I try and get up and walk. Um, for sure. It's just an easy way. And I, I know it's gotten a little harder for people with work from home because there's so much Zoom involved now mm. and there are not as many phone calls, which is kind mm -hmm. of a bummer. But when you're not on a camera or if you're on a camera with somebody who it's not going to really matter, like just pacing around while you talk, it's a real, uh, it's just a real easy way to get more steps in. Um, I do it all the time. And I remember last year I was really sick all winter. I had, I had COVID, I had long haul COVID and it was a real bummer. Um, and my doctor wouldn't let me walk outside. He's like, cause I would, I couldn't, my, my lungs would react. So I had to walk all my steps inside. And that was <laughs> it was so painful, but I learned a lot of tricks to help people. And one is just like really small. Like whenever I would make a cup of tea, like I'd boil a pot of tea, it would take two minutes for the water to boil. And I could get like 375 steps in. Like I would just pace where the water was boiling. I'm like, that's not insignificant. Like, okay, like you can look for smaller pockets of time. And then the other big thing I did was pick one show to watch. Like if you're somewhere cold and you're like, I'm not freaking going outside to walk, I get it. Like pick one show to watch that you can like watch on your phone and only watch it if you're walking. I watched the entire series of The Crown that way. Like all four, four seasons, three seasons, watched them all last winter when I wasn't allowed to walk outside in my house, just pacing up and down the stairs, around the living room. And you watched it on your phone while you're I watched pacing it on my around. phone while I'm walking around. Yep, just like this, pacing around, watching. And, I, and I wouldn't let myself watch it if I was sitting. And that's like what would inspire me. I'm like, all right, like I still want to watch the rest of the show. I'm going to keep going because it's terrible to get steps in in your house. Like you're trying to get 10,000 yeah. steps in your house. That is painful. Definitely takes the social aspect of like watching a show out of it with your family or something. It's like, yeah, no, so I'm watching the, yeah, this solo. 
This is uh, I picked one that no one else was watching with me. No one else wanted to watch The Crown. This is but, my yeah. self-care like, time, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I would not do it. Like right now I'm watching Yellowstone with my husband. So I would not walk around my house watching that on my own. <laughs> He'd but, be mad at yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, he would. Watch ahead. Yeah. Okay. So when it comes to, um, so we talked about some of the things that make weight loss and menopause challenging and, you know, obviously having crazy symptoms, you probably have more like cravings for certain foods or just like maybe hunger hormones and cravings. You can, because and a lot of that comes from the lack of sleep, right? right? So when we're lacking in sleep, we tend to have more cravings and decrease satiety, right? That's that like bottomless pit feeling. So now like you're tired, you don't really feel like cooking healthy meals because you're tired, you're craving things and you like feel like a bottomless pit. So it's kind of a bit of a mess. And so looking for strategies to manage all of that can be like, that's a game saver. So a couple of my go-tos for that are number one, um, anticipating what you know are trigger foods for you. These are not foods you're gonna have to keep out of the house forever, but for a period of time, if you notice like you're like inhaling a bag of Oreos, let's just keep Oreos outside of the house. And if you're like, you know what, I'm gonna have Oreos today, go and buy one of like the single serve packs at the gas station because then if you eat the whole thing, which is the, is the plan anyway, like it's yeah. six cookies or whatever, it's yeah. not how many are in a package of Oreos, it's not 47 or whatever it is. Yeah. So set yourself up for success. And in doing that, do not take foods off the table. Like don't say like, I can't eat cookies or I can't eat donuts. Like you just go out, like go to Dunkin' Donuts and get a donut. Don't bring home a dozen donuts. And that can just help with that, like in the moment impulse kind of control. Yeah. So that was the first thing I would say. Um, the second thing I would say is to find foods you actually really enjoy because we don't want you like to not <laughs> to not feel satisfied in your foods and try increasing um, your protein and your fiber and your dietary fat. Those are like the three. If you put those three together, they help you feel really satisfied. Um, some people are always afraid. They're like, wait, if I increase my dietary fat, am I going to get fat? Fat makes me fat. And that's not, <laughs> yeah. it is the kind of thing where you want to, when you're especially do using, talking about dietary fat, like using a food scale to like weigh your oil, weigh your chia seeds, weigh your avocado, that can really make an impact on the calorie bottom line. Just because if you do a little bit extra of those things, peanut butter, that's another big one. You do a little yeah. bit extra peanut butter, like it's another hundred calories. And so, you know, measuring and weighing those things in particular, but including those things to like really up the satisfaction factor. So you're not having so much of that bottomless pit feeling. Those are like game changers, it's like up your protein, up your fiber, up your dietary fat, keep the stuff that you're really craving out of the house and but still allow yourself to have it yeah no i love those tips and i, I think a lot of people should be tracking their fiber like a lot of people don't yeah. really don't really realize how easy it is to not hit your fiber and especially yeah. if you're somebody who has a long history of like being afraid of carbs or like having a fear of like oh no like these oats are gonna make me fat or like this fruit's gonna make me fat like some of the best fiber rich foods are also kind of high in carbs so i think a lot of people have been dieting for a long time and they have like a messed up history with food uh they don't tend to get as much fiber as they think they do so tracking that fiber make sure you're getting you know what's your recommendations for fiber um, so for 21, 21 to 30 grams, um, of fiber is really a solid amount. I will say track first to see where you at, because if you're at 11, yeah. you don't want to bump it up to 30. <laughs> like, right. That's going to be a nightmare for Things are not going to be moving the way you want them to yeah. move. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, somewhere 21 to 30 grams of fiber is a really yeah. great place to be. You can even up it more up to like 35. Um, it can, it can feel really hard in the beginning to get that much fiber. And when I first started paying attention to my fiber, I will say I come, and I think a lot of women are just like, I am, like you said, like one, we we've been told our entire lives that carbs are bad Two, There's a real myth out there that women over 40 for sure should be cutting carbs. If they want to lose fat, like that's our key to success. Yeah. Totally not yeah. true. Um, and then three, if you're like, I was, I grew up, you know, there are some people who are always been in the mindset of like, I'm a clean eater. Like I'm just trying to eat clean and they kind of can tend to do better with fiber. And then there are people like me who like, I just kept trying to reduce my portions of crappy food. So like in my twenties, yeah. I was living on like, um, those like 
what are they called? Those boxes of noodles. They were delicious. These boxes of noodles and like pop tarts. And when I wanted to diet, I would just try and eat less of it. Well, first of all, you know how hungry I was because those <laughs> are such calorie bombs but there's no fiber in that kind of stuff, right? And so for me transferring to be like, okay, now I wanna be a person who eats higher fiber. I came from the idea when I was trying to reduce calories back then, like if I eat fruit, like, yeah, like it's lower in calorie and it's gonna have more fiber and whatever, but like then I'm wasting my calories and I can't have as many of the noodles, right? So it's making this shift to like, what can I add into my diet versus like, what am I going to have to lose? So really shifting to like pumping up the fruit, you know, my favorite way to get fiber, I can easily hit a 30 gram fiber target. If I eat raspberries in a day, raspberries are like little tiny fiber bombs. Yeah. It's like so much fiber in raspberries. I wish I liked pears because pears have like hugely high fiber content. I just don't like them. So if you like pears, that's a game changer. Um, I like a, a high fiber bread, like Ezekiel bread mm -hmm. or, um, Dave's Dave's right. That's I buy it. Hello, it's in yeah, my Dave's killer. Yeah, yeah, Dave's killer. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'll use it if, if I'm in a fat loss phase, I'll often use the thinner bread, but I really like their regular bread better. It's just yeah. it's just bigger, so it's more it's more calories because it's more bread. Um, but either of those make a really good sandwich. Um, those are some of the things I add chia seeds, those have those are good for fiber, but again, those are something you want to measure because of the high fat content, so they're just um calorie dense. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, really working to get fiber in and pushing past the feeling of like, well, but eat all that fruit, that's less calories I have for cookies, like plan your cookie in, but yeah, like to make room, it's one of the reasons when we focus on upping your fiber and upping your protein, that it can be easier to lose weight because you're crowding out all the stuff that you tend to overeat all mm -hmm. the hyperpalatable stuff, you know, that has that salty, sugary fat combo that you just can't stop eating because you right. don't tip it. Like when's the last time you sat down and like overate raspberries? Like that's not really what happens, but Oreos, that's another matter. Yeah, no, it's true. I think there's so much, um, there's so much you can tell from somebody's nutrition, just looking at their protein and their fiber. You can be like, okay, if you got high protein and you got high fiber and you stayed within your calorie range or whatever, like I know the quality of your nutrition was there. Like, yeah. Cause it's almost impossible unless you're taking like Metamucil or like, you know, just a ton of protein powder, which sounds yeah. miserable, but like, yeah. I know that if somebody's hitting their protein and they're hitting their fiber, like chances are they're making great food choices for somebody who's in a fat loss phase or just health in general. So mm -hmm. yeah, love Absolutely. that. Those are great. Those are great markers to look at. I actually like, um, I like berries as well. And I find chia seeds like, you're right. They are definitely higher in calories and we definitely need to be mindful of that. But I think as far as like satiety goes, when I put just like even like a tablespoon of chia seeds in a smoothie or on top of my oats, the amount of like satiety that I get from yeah. just adding in those healthy fats and that fiber is insane. It's insane. And I think yeah. – I don't think it's quite as calorie dense as like a, ma a mainly fat source. I think I think a tablespoon is what like seventy calories or something. It's not. It's not. I was a whole talking lot. to somebody about this, this. I was literally. I'm pulling out my thing. I was just talking to somebody about this this morning. Um, we were comparing like hemp and chia because she was like, "Oh, those are great ways to add protein." I'm like, "Oh, calorie <laughs> no. protein ratio is just not They're there." Really like, not you, great sources of protein. I can look back at my food logs. I am in a fat loss phase, and um, I've been until recently when I've decided I don't like cold stuff in the winter, I've been having shakes. So yeah, 20 grams of chia seeds, which I believe is two tablespoons is a hundred calories, 98 calories. Yeah. So, and that's, that's quite like two tablespoons. If you put one tablespoon on top of your oats, that's, you yeah. know, it's, it's like somewhere between 50 to 70 calories. And yeah. And for some reason, it gives me so much more satiety, like it will turn because for some reason, oats just don't fill me up. Like I know for some people, oats in the morning, it fills them up for hours and hours and hours. For me, I need to have a lot of protein in there. And then I need to have a little bit of more healthy fats in there for mm -hmm. me to like actually stretch that out till till lunch. So that I found that the cheat like and, and that's another tip for you guys too is just play around with your meals and pay attention to how long does this keep me full? Oh, maybe I need to add a little more healthy fats. Maybe I need to add a little bit more protein to this to keep me full a couple extra hours. You know, you may just add a 50 to 100 calories, but if it's gonna keep you full an extra two to three hours, it's worth it. 
So, oh, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. It's definitely the way to look at it. Um, looking at things is, and I used to do this years ago, I would look at like, how can I get as few calories as possible into a meal? So that was some kind of winning strategy. <laughs> and even when I was a young coach, like if you look way back many years ago, you'll find posts I did like how to get a 250 calorie salad. And now I'm looking at like, <laughs> what I want somebody to get a 250 calorie salad. Like they're going to be hungry to 30 minutes later. Yeah. The whole point is like, we want you to take that 250 calorie salad. Okay. Now let's have you put some like hemp seeds on it or some chia seeds on it. And now let's have you put some avocado on it or like measure it. And all these things I would say measured out. So you're getting the amount you think you are put a little bit of cheese on there, like put more protein on there. You probably want to have a 450, 500 calorie salad for yeah. lunch. Because now what you have is you're set up to go four hours without feeling snacky. You feel yes. satisfied. Yes. And you just enjoyed your meal. Do you know how much more enjoyable a 500 calorie salad is than a 250 calorie salad? A yeah. 250 calorie salad is like zero calorie dressing, some chicken and some lettuce and maybe cucumber, yeah. right? That just does not have the same like, ooh, I enjoyed my lunch feeling as a salad that has some avocado and some chia seeds and some cheese. And again, careful with the portion size, but that tastes good. It fills you up and then you can easily go till dinner without eating again. I love it. Kim, I have uh, one more question about menopause and then we'll wrap it up because I know you're busy. Yeah. Um, so as far as workouts during menopause, right? Somebody's like struggling with sleep, you know, their stress is through the roof, you know, fight or flight um, going on because of all these symptoms um, and life's just hard. What do you recommend as far as workouts? Like should they reduce volume or the amount of days that they're lifting? Should they, you know, reduce the intensity of their workouts or anything like that? Uh, no, I personally wouldn't do any of those things unless like you always have to go by how you're feeling in a particular day. So if you really didn't have a great night's sleep, what you're going to notice when you're in the gym is when you're pushing hard during your sets, what you're pushing hard with, the weight might be lighter than what you were pushing hard with the week before. Well, we still want you to get into that rep range where you're at you know, an RPE of seven, eight, you know, there, we don't want you to like always be just like lifting light because you're feeling, because you're worried that you're going to be overtired. Yes. Listen to your body. I would suggest minimum you get into the gym two times a week to strength train. Ideally, I'd like to see you in there three times, three or four, whichever is a better fit in your life. Doing dedicated strength training as in we're taking breaks between sets, we're not just working on burning calories, really pushing so that, and when I was just talking about RPE, if you don't know what that is, um, when you get to the end of each individual set for whatever reps, so if you're supposed to do eight reps, those last reps should feel like I can't do more than one or two more reps. Like if you feel like if you were supposed to do eight reps and you tried and you could still do 11 reps, 12 reps, 30, like that is too light. You need to pick up a heavier weight. And so on an individual day, what you might find is you're picking up a lighter weight than you were previously if you're not in the game because you didn't sleep well. But just push your hardest as you have available to you each time. That strength training is so important to us. The statistics for women over 50 like who, um, who are in menopause, like the protective benefits of estrogen, like we're losing those. And so the stats for osteoporosis are just like mind boggling. Like one in three women are at risk of experiencing a fracture due to osteoporosis. Like one in three women, like wow. are gonna like have a fracture due to osteoporosis. This one, I have this written down. This is in a presentation I'm giving next week. I'm gonna read this to you guys. A 50 year old woman's risk of death related to hip fracture during her remaining lifetime is equal to her risk of death from breast cancer. Wow. Okay. 50 year old woman's risk of death related to a hip fracture during her remaining lifetime. Okay. So what can we do about osteoporosis and the risk of hip fracture? We can lift weights and get our bones really, really strong. Yeah. And so pushing hard in the gym is super important for us, more important than it's ever been. And then we think about our muscles. We started losing muscle mass in our thirties if we weren't doing something about it. So if you haven't been eating high protein and you haven't been strength training, you've already been losing muscle. You can turn that ship around. Like you can turn it around whatever yeah. age you are. Yeah. And you do that by eating enough protein and pushing hard in the gym, strength training in the way I just described. Then you're going to have the ability to one, not fall right and break that hip. You're going to be able to actually be strong enough to hold yourself up. You're going to be able to do things like care for yourself when you're 70 and 80, like stand up and get down off the toilet. Like I worry about stuff like that. I don't want to be the woman who like needs help, like getting in and out of the car. I want to be able to do that myself. I want to be able to get down on the floor when I have grandkids and stand back up. You know, I've worked with women 
They wanted to just be able to bend down in their garden and like stand back up without needing their hands to do it. Mm. And I was able to get them there. We worked on things like how do we, you know, doing lunges, then doing lunges with just their body weight and then moving on to doing lunges with actual heavy weight in their hands. So there's so much we can do to help ourselves age healthier. And strength training is a massive part of that. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on, Kim. Where can people find you? So you can find me at Kim Schlag Fitness on Instagram, and um, you can look at my website, Kim Schlag Fitness. Everywhere I'm at is Kim Schlag Fitness. Um, all the places except for my podcast is so funny. I have literally every time I go to tell people my the name of my podcast, which I've had for years, I have a moment where I cannot remember the name. <laughs> guys it is the weirdest thing and now i think it's like a psychological problem i'm thinking like i have to actually think about it my i should just put a sticky note every time when i do a podcast my podcast is fitness simplified that is the name um everywhere else you can find me and my last name if you're like how do you spell schlag is s-c-h-l-a-g thank you so much for your time kim everybody go follow me i will put her stuff down in the show notes and yeah, always fun talking and we'll, we'll chat soon. All right. Thanks so much. Right, bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode with Kim Schlag. Again, if you guys appreciate me and what I'm doing over here on the podcast and you want to support me, go ahead and leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help the show out a lot. Helps me get out to more people. Helps me grow the podcast. If you guys know anything about podcasts, it is a very time-consuming but super fun way to create content. And the more people I get to listen to the show, the more fun it is for me and the more people I feel like I'm helping. So the more five-star reviews you guys leave, the better off the show does. And I appreciate every single one of you guys for listening to me bring on these guests and talk to them and ask them questions for an entire hour. So if you guys listen to these episodes all the way through, you guys are my people. And I want you to take a screenshot of this episode, share it in your stories on Instagram and tag me in it so that I can see who's a supporter of the show. Because I see the analytics, like I see how many people listen, you know, usually it's 50 to 100 people each week who listen to the podcast, listen to each episode. But I'd like to connect with you guys more one-on-one. So if you guys take a screenshot of the episode, post it in your stories, tag me in it. You know, I can give you guys a shout out and uh, and just kind of chat with you guys and uh, get to know you guys a little bit better just because you guys are my kind of people. Anyways, I will talk to you guys next week. And yeah, have a great day. <laughs>